Right. We've been going through the book of Acts, and it's been an awesome uh, study of ministry. We've been seeing how the Holy Spirit has been working in the early church, and we ourselves get to experience the same love of God. We get to experience the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And we have this power that the one true living God comes and makes us, the worshiper, his home, his space, that dwelling place. In this chapter, what we're going to be looking at is we're going to be looking at Peter. Peter, a, a, a devout, zealous Jew, someone who had very strong convictions and he was zealous for his country, for the Jewish traditions. This man is called to do something that goes against everything that he was raised in. It goes against his culture, against the past Jewish laws. But because God is doing a new work, he still calls Peter out to do this preaching. Now, you're thinking, well, what do you mean? Isn't preaching for, for everyone? Wasn't Peter already preaching in the book of Acts? Yes, yes, he was. But now he is going to begin to preach to the Gentiles. You see, we've been studying the book of Genesis, and in the book of Genesis, we saw how God, he chose Abraham to be the first patriarch of his children, the, the Jewish people. that through the line of Abraham was going to come the Messiah. And the oracles of God, the law, the Old Testament, it was all given to the Jews. It wasn't given to people who were not Jewish. There were people who were saved in those times. There were people who believed in God and even allowed to be a, come alongside the Jewish people at that place and time. But the Holy Spirit was not working in the lives of the believers before Jesus came. So the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people to represent God to the whole world. And Jesus was that promised seed from the line of Abraham who was going to bridge that gap between man and God by the Holy Spirit. But up until this time, to, for a Jewish person to meet with a Gentile, it was culturally unacceptable, religiously unacceptable. They had these strict laws. They were, were only able to trade with them in commerce, but they weren't allowed to eat with them. They weren't uh, allowed to marry or to make covenants with Gentiles. And a lot of times I, I would imagine that this would even cause a, a prejudiceness amongst Jews and, and Gentiles at times, where those who were uh, not full of, of the knowledge of God would think of it as a prideful way. In fact, that's exactly what they did. The Pharisees. They began to see themselves as something higher than what they really were. And they liked the praises of man rather than honoring God. And so they divided themselves, separated themselves from Gentiles. But if you remember in Acts chapter 9, when, as we were reading of Saul and Saul's conversion, at the end of that chapter... It then again begins to focus on Peter as he went to go uh, preach. And he was staying with uh, the man called Simon, and Simon was a tanner. Now for Peter to even be staying with Simon at this time, who was a tanner, that, that occupation for being a tanner, 
It was someone who actually dealt with dead animals. Someone who made pelts and skins from dead animals. That's what a tanner was. It wasn't someone who went out in the tanning bed and got a little darker. Now, for Peter to stay with a man such as a tanner, already you could see God was opening Peter's heart and mind up to that possibility of being kind and loving on the Gentiles, of having fellowship with them. So we get begin now with Peter being there. And we look at Acts chapter 10. It starts off mentioning Cornelius. Look at Acts chapter 10, verse 1. It says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. So it mentions, first of all, Caesarea. Now, there are two Caesareas in Israel. One is Caesarea, and the other is Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea is on the coast of the Mediterranean. Uh, Not to be confused with Caesarea Philippi, which is north of the Sea of Galilee, which Jesus actually used Caesarea Philippi as his main base for ministry. You would always hear about Jesus being in Caesarea Philippi. But over here near the coast of the Mediterranean in Caesarea, there lived a man named Cornelius. He was a centurion, and a centurion would be that Roman officer who was over a hundred men. Centurions in the Bible, they're always seen, for the most part, to be in a good light. And if you remember when Jesus was being crucified, there was a centurion who watched the crucifixion of Jesus. And then when he saw how Jesus was crying out to God, saying, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. At the end of all that, that centurion said, truly this man was the Son of God. In the New Testament, they're spoken in terms of of praise, whether in the Gospels or whether in the Acts. And when you look at even what the historians used to write about the centurions of that time, there's a historian, a Greek historian by the name of Polybius. And he wrote that the centurions were chosen by merit, and so were men remarkable, not so much for their daring courage, but they were known for their deliberation their constancy, and the strength of mind. So the centurions were men who had self-control, who were leaders. But men who were, in the Bible at least, for the most part, fearing, fearing God. Men who had integrity, these uh, centurions. In verse 2, again, it said that a devout man and one who feared God, all his household who gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This was this man's character, the centurion. Out of that verse, we see a few attributes of this centurion. He was a man of discipline. He was a devout man. He feared God, meaning he had that personal relationship with God. And he gave alms generously to people, meaning he would also have an outpouring. It said that all of his household feared God, meaning that he had a a, a household that was in the structure of what God desired. And that he prayed to God always. It says in verse 3, about the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. So when it says the ninth hour, that's about 3 o'clock p.m. 
the ninth hour being the ninth hour since the sun had came out. So that's around three. Now this was the hour of prayer. And he has a vision of an angel coming to him. Now this is not a dream, and he's not in a trance. He's awake. He's praying. And it says in verse 4, And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now notice, right when he sees this angel that appears to him, calls him by name, like familiarity, Cornelius. And he looks and he becomes fearful. Now, a lot of the times in the Bible, whenever we see somebody meeting an angel, fear overtakes them. Because this angelic being looks powerful, mighty, bright, brilliant. And what I notice on what the angel tells him is that God hears our prayers. He says, your prayers and your alms have come up as a memorial before God. And we can assume that Cornelius had been praying for his family with what we're about to read next. Because this angel is about to lead him to a place where his family would get saved. In verse 5 it says, Now send men to Joppa, and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. Now, Cornelius was a man with men under his control, under his authority. Much like the centurion who went to Jesus when his servant was sick. You guys remember that in Luke chapter 7, there was a certain centurion whose servant that he loved became deathly ill. And having heard of Jesus and the works of what Jesus was doing, he sought Jesus out. And so he sent men to, to talk to Jesus to ask for his servant to be healed. And Jesus told the servants, he said, okay, I'm going to go to the house where the servant is at. And they responded. They said, Lord, don't trouble yourself by coming to my home, the centurion said, for I am not worthy to suffer such an honor. I'm not even worthy to come and meet you. Just say the word from where you are and my servant will be healed. I know this because I am under the authority of my superior officers and I have authority over my soldiers. I only need to say go and they go or come and they come. And if I say to my slaves, do this, they do it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed. Turning to the crowd that was following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't seen faith like this in all Israel. And when the officer's friends returned to his house, they found the slave completely healed. In Luke chapter 7. So this centurion was, uh, again, another centurion who had faith in God, who had faith that it, Jesus had the authority to just say the word, that his word had the authority to heal people, to heal the servant. Now, Cornelius, he sent these men to go seek after this man who would be praying. That would be Peter. And it says in verse 9, The next day as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Notice how they're always going on the housetop, up on the housetop to pray. It's kind of, I believe, in a way to get away from the distractions that are going on to be able to separate yourself, to devote that time where you're, you're just focused on, on God, on prayer. 
We need that in our life. And this is about for them now. He's up there at the sixth hour, meaning that would be around 12 p.m. It says in verse 10, Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now see Peter right here, he's in this trance from God. Not some other substance. This was a spiritual trance that the Lord just put him into. And he, in this vision, as he's in this trance, which it's, it's a little different from, a, from the vision, but he sees the, this image, this object. It says it was like a sheet coming down. So it wasn't exactly this bed sheet full of animals that was coming down, but it was something that was similar to that. And that, I'm sure that likeness of, of white, a white sheet coming down, that purity, that's what it's symbolic of, coming from heaven, and the four corners being folded, perhaps symbolic of how the gospel, the holiness of God was to spread throughout the entire four corners of the earth. And now as it's coming down to him, it's full of all these unkosher animals. Anything that's kosher, it was allowed in the Jewish diet from the Torah and from their religious ceremonial laws. They still have kosher diets to this day. You go and say, is it, is it kosher? And that means it's, there's no pork, there's no un, unclean animals in it. But what Peter is seeing is this sheet coming down him full of all types of unkosher animals. And then the voice tells him to rise, to kill, and to eat, meaning that to begin to partake in what was unkosher for him. God is telling Peter that the time had come that the distinction between clean and unclean creatures in the law was now abolished. Meaning bacon and scrambled eggs in the morning. Meaning double-doubles, meaning beef and cheese in the same meal together. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> this is uh, a good thing not only for our, our stomachs, but there was a deeper meaning for this. See, the Jews and the Gentiles are, are symbolic, again, uh, of this, what is kosher, what is clean, and what is unclean. What God is saying here is now that distinction between the Jews and the Gentiles between the circumcised and the uncircumcised is being abolished. That he was able to have communion and to relate to one another as a spiritual family. When you look at us here right now this morning, we all have very diverse, I mean, well, we're all Mexican, but we all look very different. <laughs> but it looks like we come from different backgrounds. It looks like we had come from different eth eth ethnic origins. But we're not divided about that. We come from different cultural backgrounds. Some of us know Spanish more than the others. And I, I want to learn. <laughs> but you know what? That's what brings us together is the spiritual family. That we're all united in Christ. And that's where Peter now is being led into this new doctrine of unity in the body of Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. 
Isn't that interesting how people right now are fighting so much over identity, where they identify with? But when you're in Christ Jesus, you're one. See, God is for all mankind. In verse 14, it says, But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. Oh, Peter. You can't say not so, Lord. By saying not so, Lord, you're contradicting yourself by calling him Lord. Because if he's your Lord, you can't say no to him. Peter was devout still. He, he was still in this place. He was devout towards the Jewish law still. But he was progressing. You see, he didn't have all the knowledge right away when the Holy Spirit came to the Jews. Right after the death of Jesus Christ, it wasn't like all of a sudden he knew, like, okay, that's it. Like, it's time for me to go preach to the Gentiles. No. But God gradually communicated truth to them. There was a progressive revelation, meaning they learned more and more as time went on about the truth of God, of the Word of God, about what God was doing. But for us now, there is no new revelation. The canon is closed. The Bible is, is complete. There are, are no additions to the word of God anymore. God warns us not to add to his law. In verse 15, it says, And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. So he has this vision three times. And sometimes we need to be taught the same lesson over and over and over again. Repetition is one of the greatest teachers. Repetition, repetition, repetition. That's how it sticks with you. And God was rebuking Peter. He says, look, Peter, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. It reminds me of Chuck, Chuck Smith, and how the hippies began to flock to his church. And the people who were his uh, usual congregation began to see all these young hippies coming in, probably just not wearing deodorant, different clothing, stinky feet, and they would walk all over the carpet with their feet, their bare feet. And so the members of his congregation used to go to Chuck and say, hey, like, you, you got to tell the, the hippies that they, they need to wear footwear before they come in here because they're dirtying the carpet. And lovingly, he told them, he's like, well, if we want to keep the carpet clean, let's just rip out the carpet and let them come in. Because he loved how these people who were f from the word world were now coming into the knowledge of the salvation of Jesus Christ. And he was telling his ministry, no, don't call what is clean, unclean. A lot of times we will see movements of the Holy Spirit and kind of question the purity of it, the motives of people. There, for me, one of the groups I, I, I love and admire are the whosoevers. I mean, I'm a part of the whosoevers in a sense. That they... Uh, they were at times kind of criticized for these people who were coming up with tattoos and dreadlocks and the way they spoke and people were, were kind of afra afraid of them, of what they were doing. 
But I would look out and I would see crowds and thousands of people and they would have these altar calls and people would be coming to accept Jesus Christ into their heart. And we saw fruit from that. We're still seeing fruit through all of that. And I'm reminded not to call what is clean, unclean. It says in verse 17, it says, Now while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. Now, I love how God is working right here on both sides. See, Peter is wondering about what this vision meant. And as he's wondering about it, suddenly... Cornelius and the, the men, they're there right before the gate. And they're called at, they're at calling for Peter. And I'd love to see how God spoke to Peter. He spoke to Cornelius. And now these two men are, are, are going to meet and be in unity with one another, understanding that God called them together. That happened to me recently with my good friend Cameron. I, I started this podcast, and uh, my buddy Mike, Mike Sanchez, and I, we, we've been doing podcasting, and we were thinking of a who to interview next, and he brought up my, my friend Cameron. He's like, well, hey, well, what if we interview Cameron? And I was like, you know what? Yeah, like that'd be a good interview. I want to interview him. And so I called him up and asked if he would be willing, be available to be on a podcast with us, and... When I called him and asked him, the first thing that came out of his mouth was, I knew this day was coming. Because <laughs> he had known that we had been doing podcasting, and he was like, maybe had a sense that maybe like I would hit him up. And then he shared with me that he himself has been desiring to start a podcast. And then from the time that we interviewed him to just recently we had him as a, a kind of a co-host again on our podcast he started the podcast and already is three episodes in it's like wow like okay like I didn't think that you know Cameron wanted to do a podcast or was all these doing all these different things but God had impressed it upon us and also upon Cameron and he brought us together and now the spirit is doing a work and it's awesome when we see God speaking on both sides in verse 19, it says, While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. You see, when you see a movement of the Spirit, don't doubt. Just jump into it. It says, Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. And on the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. So here we see Peter's hospitality as, man, this is that moment where he's like, whoa, what? Like, I just saw this vision, and these men come to me now from a, a Gentile's house? It says in verse 24, and they... The following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am also a man. Now notice who Cornelius brought. 
uh, to his household, all his close friends, his relatives. See, this is where our, our first ministry should be attempted, with our close friends and our relatives. We should be reaching out to them first. But like Jesus said many times, uh, a prophet has no honor in his own country. So sometimes our close friends and relatives are the ones who reject us the most. And sometimes the people we're more strangers with will be more open to hear what we have to say when it comes to the gospel. But Cornelius, doing the right thing, had his relatives and friends there first. Getting them all together excited for what God wanted to say, he wasn't sure perhaps. He just knew that God had told him to look for this man to bring him. And as Cornelius sees Peter coming in, probably just amazed by what God had done, he falls down before Peter's feet and begins to worship him. And in the scriptures, notice that whenever a person begins to fall and before an angel or a believer, anyone who wasn't God, whenever this person would fall down to worship that person, if they were a good person or an angel, that person would forbid the worship to continue. They'd be like, hey, what are you doing? I'm, I'm just a man. Get up. I'm just an angel. Get up. Don't worship me. But it is also noteworthy that when you see people would fall before Jesus and begin to worship him, that he wouldn't forbid it. He would allow it because he is worthy because he is God. And Peter, knowing that all the glory belongs to God, stopped Cornelius from falling at his feet and worshiping him. He's like, man, I'm just like you. Verse 27, and as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. See, this is what Peter was referring to, that they weren't supposed to have covenants. They weren't supposed to have marriages with Gentiles. They weren't even supposed to have a a familiar type of conversation with them, like that intimate conversation. It's prohibited to have any food with them or to even be walking down the street with a Gentile. It was very strict, I understand. And they saw communion as so special that when you would eat out of this plate, let's say there was bread and and some soup, and that they would break this bread and dip in the soup and eat it themselves, they saw this as you're partaking of this bread, and that one piece of bread now is becoming part of you, it's becoming part of them, and there's this unity amongst each other. Where those same molecules are like both getting digested in your stomach. It says in verse 29, Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. I asked then, For what reason have you sent for me? So Cornelius said four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Now notice Cornelius was fasting. It says until this hour he was fasting. Now there's different types of fasts that we read about in the Bible. There are complete fasts, meaning you have no food, even no water, just completely sanctifying and consecrating yourself towards the Lord. Jesus did this. It says for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus went into the wilderness and had a complete fast. There were also, in the Bible, we read about partial fasts. And partial fasts were like Daniel, 
Remember when Daniel made his uh, challenge to the servants of King Nebuchadnezzar? He said, look, like you guys and your men can eat all the delicacies of the king, but me and my Jewish friends here, we're only going to eat what is kosher and what is vegetables and what's healthy. And he did a partial fast. And the Lord honored it. And they looked stronger and healthier at the end of this challenge than the rest of King Nebuchadnezzar's men. So that's the partial fast. And I, a lot of times, have experienced partial fasts where I'll, maybe I won't eat food, but I'll also have wa water and coffee to keep me going. And there's also the non-food fast. That's also in the Bible. For married couples, uh, when they take that time of separation from intimacy. We read about that in Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5. There's also, uh, we read about how there's consecration where you can separate yourselves from items and people and places and practices so that you can focus on the Lord. And we also too, need to be careful because let's say you do those complete fasts. We should be practicing fasting um, when the Lord calls you to it. But we need to be careful with that because uh, when you deny yourself food for a while and then suddenly you go back to eating again, you, you want to take it slow. You, wanna, you don't want to suddenly gorge yourself with double doubles and Tommy burgers because it doesn't end up good for you at the end. Your stomach's very upset. So Cornelius was fasting and God sent that vision to him, the angel, and says in verse 32, send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. So I love how there are people who are ready to hear the word of God. See, there is a preparation of the heart that should take place before you enter into a time of study. You should prepare your heart. A lot of times we come into a church service, into a Bible study with just so many things in, on our hearts and on our minds that by the time you get to the service, there has to be this declutteration during the service of like, okay, I got to stop thinking about this. I got to stop thinking about that. And now finally you get to focus. But I would encourage people to come to the study prepared, even reading what we're going to be going into, reading what the word is going to teach already. So you have it in your mind, what the Holy Spirit has already spoken to you. And then there could be new insights and maybe confirmation on those things that God has been speaking to you on. And an openness to what God wants to say even with worship. Uh, I know in, in ministry at times, worship could seem like the trailer to the Bible study, but that's not what it is at all. Worship is a, a time of getting our hearts and our minds right to focus on God and to worship Him. Worship is not for us. Worship is us singing to God, thanking Him for who He is. It's a response to all he is. And he deserves it. In verse 34, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. May that one day be said again about the, about the United States. Every nation who fears him works righteousness is accepted by him. You see, Peter perceived that God wasn't partial to man. 
that God didn't look at their outward appearances and he, he doesn't prefer or despise men and women because of their being or because of their ethnicity, because they're Jews or Gentiles, because they were rich or poor or free or bound. Remember how he chose David? When he sent his prophet Samuel to go get the king of Israel, he said, go to the house of Jesse. And Samuel went there. And he had all these sons. Some of them looked big and tall and strong. And Samuel was like, okay, surely this is the guy who's going to be the king because he's probably like the biggest guy there. And God was like, no, it's not him. And then so he goes to the father. He's like, hey, Jesse, like, do you got any more sons? Because none of these are the guys. And he's like, well, we got little David out there in the field with the sheep. He's like, we'll call him. He comes in cute little dude already and says and said called him handsome and he comes in small and God's like this is him you see God looks at the inward but man looks at the outward and may we be more like God and when we look at people may we look at the heart David was known to be a man after God's own heart And so Peter is talking about this. Look, God is not partial to man. He doesn't judge us based on appearance, but those who fear God are accepted by him. And in verse 36, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. So this is right here, Peter's preaching right now. Everyone here has the open heart. Cornelius has all his people. They're like, all right, we're ready, man of God. What did you have to say? And he begins his sermon by starting off, look, God doesn't show partiality. He sent Jesus to bring peace because Jesus is Lord of all. And in verse 37, it says that word, you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. So after the baptism of John the Baptist, Jesus began his earthly ministry and God was sending this message of peace from sin and death, victory over death. Jesus was Lord over all. It says in verse 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Do you guys remember Jesus' purpose for coming to this world? why God was anointed. Jesus told us in Luke's gospel, there was this time when Jesus had went there to the synagogue and all the Jewish religious people were there and Jesus went before all of them and said, hey, give me the book of Isaiah. And they gave him the scroll of Isaiah. And he began to read. And Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And as Jesus was there standing before them, he said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, Jesus was anointed to come to this world as our Savior. I I love seeing how he meets those dark and broken needed, the poor, the brokenhearted, captives, blind, the oppressed. Jesus was sent to all of them to set them free. 
And this is what, exactly what Peter is sharing with them. That same message, that same role, that testimony that Jesus had of his mission, we're supposed to be sending that out to the world. We're supposed to be preaching to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty. And that's what the mission field that we have. So Peter's explaining what Jesus' role in this earth was, and he says in verse 39, and we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. So he's testifying to the Gentiles what took place that Jesus died on the cross. It says in verse 40, Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before God even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. You see, his resurrection, it was made sure by so many witnesses. Remember, he would appear to them afterwards and he would eat with them and have fish with them. He would drink with them. He wasn't this phantom just raised spiritually. He was raised both body and spirit says in verse 42, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. So first Jesus came to save the world, but when he returns in his second coming, he's coming to judge the world. And may we be found there with Christ when he returns. It says in verse 43, To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. You see what it required for them to be saved? It was just that that simple belief. I'm reminded that we're saved by grace through faith. It's that not of works. That's that simple belief belief, the way that a child just believes that their mother, their father, when they reach out to them, they're just going to be able to jump into their arms and be safe. That belief that a little kid has that if he's just in bed with his parents, that he's safe from the monsters. That childlike belief. That's the type of faith we are to have towards our Father in heaven. That God is going to save us that he loves us, that he has a plan for our lives. That we don't have to work for salvation. And it's for all people, whoever believes. In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they had heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered. So at this point, it's like, whoa. I'm sure Peter's like so amazed. Like, what is happening? Up until this point, he's never seen the Gentiles speak in tongues. So Peter answers in verse 47, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then they asked him to stay a few days. And in these last verses, what we see is a progression in their life. And it's not always in the same order but it always starts with salvation. First, that person is saved. And that salvation could be coupled with or followed by 
a spiritual baptism. And then there's the water baptism. See, the Holy Spirit, first they believed. They believed in God and Jesus as Savior. And then the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That was the spiritual baptism. And then they began to speak in tongues. And then Peter was like, all right, now let's go get baptized by water. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where we are able to allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to move forward. This month, we had a beautiful experience of baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism by water. And it was so awesome to see some people come out to get baptized who weren't even planning on it. And there were some really cool moments where people were opening up and allowing Jesus to just fill their hearts, fill their minds, to give them deliverance, to give them hope, to give them peace. And that's what Peter is preaching here to these Gentiles. And that's what we get to preach to others out there in the world. It's, I find it interesting, as I remember last week, I did give you guys a homework assignment to say the name of Jesus to people. And I feel like without any striving or without like having to set aside time to do this task, I, I heard some conversations amongst people, even myself, of the Lord divinely allowing people to come across our paths so that we can share Jesus with them, and even if it's a small way to talk about Jesus. So I would encourage us to keep doing this, to keep spreading that testimony of Jesus Christ, of what he was sent here to do and what he has done for you. We're going to end this morning with, with prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday morning, Father. I pray that you would anoint this time Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. May we not be divided by race. I pray, Father, that we would trust, Father, when you call those things clean, trust your Spirit to move forward into your call for our life. I pray, Father, that we would be obedient, Lord. that we'd be full of the love of Christ and share it with people. Father, give us spiritual gifts, knowledge and discernment, Lord, self-control, understanding. And may you use us, Father. May you be glorified. May you deserve, Lord, all the honor and the praise. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to end this morning here, but I do want to encourage you guys to uh, check out uh, the latest podcast that I got interviewed by um, Mike Sanchez and Cameron on YouTube and on Facebook. Uh, but check that out, and we will see you guys on the live stream on Wednesday night. All right? In Jesus' name. God bless you guys.